traveling through another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a wondrous land whose boundaries are that of imagination. Your next stop, the Twilight Zone. As we continue season three of The Twilight Zone, let's just take a moment to reflect on our first two episodes. We began with the episode two, of which I have no complaints, a good, strong episode and a worthy entry into The Twilight Zone. Then we continued with The Arrival and while there's a few gripes with that one, it was generally a good episode, which I enjoy. So, so a good start overall, but have we had what we've now come to call in the show, a heavy hitter? One of those twilight zones that stands above, stands tall no matter what you throw at it. Well, I don't think so just yet, but episode three, The Shelter, might just be that episode now as i said in the last show i lost my voice recently so i couldn't do the feedback section for the arrival so what i've decided to do is do it in this little extra show the voice is almost back to full strength but i don't like twilight zone episodes to run on more than an hour if i can help it unless it's one of those special episodes so i'm going to do the feedback section here just in case we get more thoughts on the shelter. So for you tonight is an extra episode of Submitted for your approval. I've had an email from Jacob Musculin and he says, I thought I'd write in to share some insights I have on some episodes of season two. I know you've already finished wrapping up your coverage of that season, but all the same, these episodes hit me so profoundly, I'm sure you won't mind a repeat review. As you have said many times, the Twilight Zone puts ordinary people into extraordinary situations. A common thread that connected some of my favourite episodes from the second season was that of a father's love and what that love leads a man to do. And Jacob begins with Dust. He says, You remark that this episode isn't viewed as one of the greatest episodes in TZ. I couldn't disagree with the masses more because when I first saw Dust, it grabbed my attention more than any Twilight Zone episode I could remember. The general story, as you know, is about a man who has accidentally killed a child and how the town reacts to that tragedy. The main character isn't the sheriff, the victim's parents, or even the man himself, but the father who used all the money he could find or borrow from his friends to buy dust from a con man that same man being the same man that sold the rope for his son's execution, 
The climax of the episode for me was when the man shouted at the crowd at the gallows that his son wouldn't die because of the magic dust. It was embarrassing. It was pathetic. It was ugly. It was raw. It was the love of a father and it was perfect. As a father, I know I would do anything for my son to protect him, even if that means begging on my hands and knees screaming about magic dust. It was an accurate representation of an ordinary father reacting to an extraordinary situation with a small element and miracle courtesy of the Twilight Zone. It was hard not to feel a tremendous sympathetic pull by the display of emotion when he, father, walked away with his son, then both holding each other around the shoulders, hobbling along just crying together with joy and relief. I'm comfortable enough with my masculinity to say I was crying like a baby when I saw that scene. You know, Jacob, you're not the only one who seems to hold dust in probably higher regard than me and higher regard than maybe popular opinion. And that's great. You know, that's that's absolutely great. I'm glad you get so much from it. And Jacob goes on to talk about long distance call. He says, this episode started off slow. It was perhaps a little creepy with the grandmother being a bit possessive, but nothing overwhelmingly strange. Then things picked up speed when we get the classic kid acting strange when alone in their room and the general sense that something is haunted or possessed. The climax in action being the son throwing himself into the pool or pond and being put on perhaps an iron lung or other apparatus while the parents pace back and forth in the other room. First, wow, I did not expect the creators actually committing to that scene or them even being allowed to shoot that type of scene at the time in television. Husbands and wives can't be seen sharing a bed, but somehow they were able to get that approved. The scene that followed was incredible. The father pleads to his mother to give life back to his son. His whole speech was too close to home and his actions felt completely believable. Now Jacob goes on to share something quite personal and extremely sad. He says, my connection several years ago, my brother hung himself. The medics arrived and were able to revive him, but he entered a coma from which he didn't recover. My family and I were sitting in his hospital room when a man arrived who said he knew my brother. He said that he came from a charismatic faith that believed that healing powers were given to true believers and wanted to try and see if he could heal my brother. Now it's important to note that my family and I are religious and attend church weekly but this gentleman represented something not familiar to our faith tradition. What did we have to lose by letting him try? So we nodded approvingly and what commenced was utter lunacy. He was shouting, sweating and gesticulating for what felt like an hour. I thought maybe it could work, but after only a few minutes, the man put his hands down, shook his head and said he was sorry that he apparently didn't have the gift. So he left just in time before one of my sisters burst out in laughter. Like the son in the episode, my brother was young, not as young as the boy, but at 20 years old, he had had a full life ahead of him. He hadn't yet gone to college, gotten married or done a million other things young people in the 20s set their sights on. 
All those potential futures were now impossibilities. That memory hit hard, while the father pleaded for his mother to let the boy live. The words of the father that he hasn't even started especially hit home. A man begs for forgiveness with magic dust. A father talks into a broken plastic phone for healing, and our family let a faith healer put on a pointless one-man show. All of this is to say that fathers and families will do anything when enough pressure or pain is inflicted. My brother did pass away a few days after the faith healer episode, but maybe we'll see each other again someday. Maybe in a place beyond that which is known to man, in a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. Until then, keep up the great work and I look forward to your future TZ episodes and reviews. A fellow fan of the podcast, Jacob. P.S. A note on two from season three. Americans don't have drumsticks in a can. Not a thing. We have strange food, but we draw the line of putting drumsticks in a can. Well, I'm glad to hear that, Jacob. Thank you. Um, and thank you for sharing your story, a very personal recollection, and uh, tying it so beautifully into the Twilight Zone. Friend of the show, Star, wrote me an email and they said, Hi Tom, very excited to hear your review for the TZ episode, The Arrival. It has always been one of my personal favourites. Well, you know, I hope you've enjoyed it, Star, because it's funny really, because pretty much every Twilight Zone is someone's favourite, except maybe, you know, some of the some of the real turkeys, but those sort of ones that some people will say is a middling episode. I mean, Dust is a perfect example because it affected Jacob so profoundly. And, you know, every episode is someone's favourite pretty much. So I hope you enjoyed the episode on it, despite my reservations about some things. And Star goes on to say, While I don't believe the episode reaches a satisfying conclusion, I love the setup for this story. It begins with a mystery that gets twisted into yet another mystery. The first time I watched this, I had no idea where the story was going, and it kept me in suspense. Since then, I have watched The Arrival, knowing that it's a story told from Grant Sheckley's perspective, and it's fun to see how he builds himself up to be a legendary figure of the FAA, and of course, the means in which he demonstrates the plane is a product of mass illusion it's quite dramatic. I can't say that it's my favourite plane-related tale from the zone, but it's always an enjoyable watch. Keep up the great work. And that's from Star. Thank you, Star. And like I said, I hope you enjoyed the episode on the arrival. Now, friend of the show Mike wrote in, and Mike wrote in a couple of episodes ago talking about context and the context of the time that the Twilight Zone was made with the episodes themselves. And he says too, I wanted again to bring up context as I remember well the original broadcast of this episode. It was so obvious at the time that the Russian character had to be the heavy. Russians were characterized in the press and on TV as thugs and untrustworthy. And that's exactly how the character comes off at first. Then there's the American, gallant, a pacifist of sorts and intelligent. The contrast couldn't have been any more contemporary, but the added dimension of having a brutish beautiful woman pitted against the intelligent and peaceful but rugged thuggish looking male was absolutely mind-blowing at the time. 
it was a the surprise TZ twist from beginning, or as the plot, we didn't have to wait for the end of the episode. For the surprise, it was great, and it still is brilliant. Thanks again for your work, and I'm also a subscriber and enjoying your extras, and that's uh, referring to the Patreon. So thank you, Mike. Always good to hear from you, and I appreciate that. I have an email from Jennifer Abdo, and she says, Hi, Tom. I just found out about your podcast this year, and it inspired me to start watching the series start to finish as well. I'm 39 and wasn't a huge fan before now, though I may have seen a few with my dad or the prolific references in movies from friends and in books just to make it seem that familiar. I was a fan of E.T. as a kid. Instead of playing with princesses and Cabbage Patch dolls, I was wishing I could have my own alien friend like Elliot did. I'm not sure why I never decided to dig into these before. So much of it is prescient and relevant today. Obviously, like the monsters are due on Maple Street, a standout in social commentary. Thank you so much for your careful, detailed treatment of such a great series. I love the trivia, short story source information, and companion book suggestions. I just wanted to mention two things I personally related to so far, then I'll go back to just listening. The episode Time Enough at Last became a fast favourite as I'm a book person as well and could relate to one of the more obvious plot twists, wanting more time to read. That theory you cited about him being actually an evil person, loving the printed page more than his companions, deserving of the life sentence of desolation was definitely food for thought. Good points. It adds to the fascination with a judge doling out reward and punishment which could be a result of the culture of the time, or Serling's own view. I'm more of a humanist, but the theme is familiar and sometimes satisfying. The lesson I got from it, though, was the demonstration of the classic introvert struggle and others' misunderstanding. I often need alone time and to recharge because social situations tend to drain me. What I want is to be able to go into Bemis Vault for a bit on occasion, but what people I love and others alike will sometimes interpret that as is me desiring a post-Holocaust Bemis situation when I don't wish for that at all. A second personal connection, this one funnier than the last, was during Monsters Are Due on Maple Street, the residents are finding momentum in accusing Les Goodman of being the alien in Tommy's theory and Ad standing out in his yard in the wee hours looking at the sky as a reason for suspicion. I laughed out loud at that because I've actually done that, being out of my front yard at 2am watching meteor showers or a lunar eclipse on more than one occasion. No one's accused me yet of being an alien, but I've wondered if the neighbours ever see me and think it odd. Thank you so much for your work, I'm enjoying it immensely and I can care with many listeners that your voice is soothing and perfect for the topic. Jennifer A. in North Carolina. USA. Well, thank you, Jennifer. Hopefully my voice is coming back to being back to full strength. It's getting there. It feels a bit rough, but it's getting there. So, and thank you for your interpretations. You know, I, I present things on the show at times and my interpretations, but as I've always said, it's just my interpretations and I love to hear what other people think as well. So thank you for writing in. Okay, Nicanor says, Hi, Tom. I hope this email finds you well and wanted to give you my thoughts on the arrival. Writing this waiting for the train to depart 
so maybe it's appropriate. I think The Arrival is an episode that's very well done. A plane lands with no crew or passengers, and there lies the mystery. I like the Twilight Zone episodes that deal with the psychological aspect, and this one in my opinion is very well done, and I think it's better than King Nine Will Not Return, which I believe are related episodes. I especially love the closing sequence where he's walking still, not over the fact that he couldn't crack the mystery. I wrote because I honestly think this is an underrated episode. I probably shouldn't have written since I haven't checked IMDB ratings, but when people talk about their favourite episodes, the arrival's never mentioned. I hope you feel like I do that this is a very well-made and underrated episode. Thanks for your hard work, Nick. I don't think I'm probably necessarily on the same page as you. I, I thought it a very enjoyable episode, you know, like I said in the last episode. Um, but that's fine, you know, just because popular opinion thinks something, it doesn't mean we can't disagree with it. So if you think it's underrated and you think it's a, a really great episode, then more power to you and I'm glad you enjoy it. Now, finally, if you think back to our season two wrap-up show where we had some listeners to the show on. We had someone who's become a good friend of the show now, uh, Gus Halwerda was on, and he says, Tom, I wanted to drop you a sincere thanks for the episode you did on the Twilight Zone audiobook series. I thought I was the world's biggest Twilight Zone fan, but you really scooped me on that one. I had no idea those audiobooks existed and was delighted by your coverage of them. I was also inspired to go out and pick up the ones I could find myself, and I'm happy to report that I have been listening to them in their entirety and enjoying every moment, so thank you again. Actually, this led me to explore a tangential sailing audiobook universe, namely the Night Gallery audiobook series, put out by Pharaoh Audiobooks in the 1990s. These seem even more difficult to track down, at a reasonable price anyway, than the TZ tapes. But I did manage to get my hands on a few, before someone else apparently listened to your podcast and had the same idea, as I then began to see them vanishing from my search windows, and without going too deeply into a different program altogether, let me at least say that they are nowhere near the calibre of quality that the Twilight Zone audiobooks achieved. Far fewer of the stories are actually Sailing's words, and the voice acting, which is all unknown actors and never stars from the series, often leaves something to be desired. There are even edits to some of the works by Lovecraft and others that would, by definition, require them to be labelled abridged, even though the edits are typically inconsistent, sometimes just editing out bad words. But overall, not nearly the same experience as the TZ audiobooks, which is too bad. You know, that's pretty interesting because I remember saying in the episode The Forgotten Twilight Zone that had those stories just been read by, you know, either a nobody actor or, you know, Tony Danza reads Walking Distance, someone who had absolutely nothing to do with the Twilight Zone, then... I probably would have I probably would have picked them up and thought them quite nice, but it was the people reading them and their connection to the original show that made them special and this is kind of an illustration of that. So uh, it's really interesting you bring this up, Gus. And he goes on to say, 
but I do actually have a few more zone related questions that I thought you might be able to answer. You've mentioned and played clips from the Twilight Zone radio shows in the past, but this is another one of the more esoteric back alleys of the Twilight Zone that I rarely have the courage to venture into. However, hearing your last podcast got me curious to know if the TZ radio show ever did anything more than just the episodes from the original TV series. Did they venture into the 80s show or do any original or unpublished tales? Well, that is a question I can answer for you, Gus. They, um, I don't think they ventured into the 80s show as far as I know, but I do know that they did a bunch of new unpublished tales when they ran out of the original Twilight Zones. Now, it's, you know, I have a little book here that I keep next to the microphone of ideas for special episodes, that kind of thing. Sometimes some of them come to fruition, sometimes they don't. But one of the ideas that I've got scribbled in there, which is something I definitely want to cover, is to have a look at those episodes. I don't think there's much value in going over Twilight Zone Radio as a whole, because like I said, they are generally tracking quite close to the episodes that they are versions of. There's different twists here and there, and, and if something interesting comes up, then I will mention it. But I would like to do an episode dedicated to those new Twilight Zone Radio episodes, the ones that are new stories entirely. So watch this space, I will get round to it someday. And he says, finally, I know you to be an expert on old time radio in general, and I'm curious about the Zero Hour program that he hosted in the 70s. Did Rod Sailing actually write any of the Zero Hour episodes? I've tried listening to these over the years, but the recordings I have access to have very little in the way of credits and liner notes, and my own researches have come up empty, though my instincts and knowledge of Sailing's style leads me to believe that he did not actually write any of the Zero Hour stories. I was curious to know your thoughts. Best always, Gus. Well, thank you, Gus. Um, I am a appreciator of old-time radio. I wouldn't call myself an expert, but on the Zero Hour itself, it is a mine of misinformation out there. I've read things on the net that says Rod Sailing wrote them all. I've read things online that says he wrote none of them. I've read things online that says he was going to write some of them, but then it got cancelled, so he didn't write any of them. And I've read things that says he wrote some of them. So I've read the whole spectrum, and to be honest, I don't know what the truth is. It's um, it's eluded me too. I think if I was more into that show, then maybe I would be more dedicated to looking into that. But although I kind of appreciate it as a bit of a curiosity... It's not really my kind of preferred type of old-time radio. I prefer the likes of Dimension X, X-1, even a bit of The Shadow, you know, those old-time stuff. Uh, the Zero Hour, I think, it's more of a crime sort of story, and I prefer my old-time radio a bit more in the sci-fi realm or the horror realm. I do like a bit of crime stuff, but... I don't actually like the Zero Hour that much. I think it's okay, it's fine, but it's not something... I think, like you said, you know, I don't think it's a particularly sailing thing, so it's not something I gravitate to that much, because I think he did just pretty much introduce it 
and you know open it and close it kind of thing i don't like you think he wrote it so for that reason and because i think it's it's generally fine it's just not that much for me i don't get into it that much so i couldn't really answer that one for you but i hope i've at least clarified my position on it okay that is all our listener emails so we've cleared the decks now ready for episode three of season three the shelter if you want to chime in on that one then you can get me at tom at the twilight zone podcast.com or you can come to facebook facebook slash twilight zone podcast if you want to support the show then you can go to patreon.com slash twilight zone podcast and i'm kind of figuring out what my reward levels are now i've kind of flip-flopped backwards and forwards about a couple of ideas but i'm going to put it definitely on there in the next couple of days so people know what kind of reward levels uh, exist so if you've already contributed then i appreciate that a lot and if you want to contribute it's patreon.com slash twilight zone podcast okay so next up is the shelter is it going to be our first big hitter of season three i hope you join me and find out and i'll speak to you soon (laughs) 